our lesson today out of uh, the Bible, out of the Kings, First Kings, Second Kings, chapter twenty-one, and Second Chronicles thirty-two, Manasseh, part one, King Manasseh, part one, the wickedest king of Judah. Quite a title and heading, right? You know that. Okay, uh, so where would he live? Okay, when when did he live anyway? Um, from the line of David all the way down the line. Israel has already been taken captive. The northern tribes have already been taken captive and dispersed. Never seen from as full tribes ever again and as a nation ever again. Uh, and so Manasseh is the son of Hezekiah way down the line very shortly before Judah becomes taken captive by Babylon. Backing up a little bit about his father. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, Hezekiah was sick and near death. Isaiah the prophet said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and went bitterly, and God said, I will add to your days 15 years. And there's a whole story with that, right? We did a sermon on that and a message on that. It's very powerful. So God adds 15 years to his life after he said you're going to die. Because he wept, prayed, and asked God to extend his life. And God did it. God sends the prophet Isaiah back to tell him he would. And God adds 15 years to his life. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, a parallel chapter to it, verse 33, Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper tombs of the son of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, so that's the transition to Manasseh with a little bit of the background. Of course, there was from the, during those, after Hezekiah is healed, uh, he asked for a sign. God says, what sign would you like? He says, turn the sun back. 15 degrees, God turns the sun back. Uh, and people in Babylon see this happen. And they hear about Hezekiah's healing. And so they come to uh, congratulate him, and he shows them everything. And then Isaiah comes and tells him, uh, what did you show them? He says, I showed them everything. He said, they're going to come eventually take everything after your death. And Hezekiah says, okay, good, as long as it's after I'm dead, who cares, uh, basically. And so then he does die, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hespazalba. Something. Okay. So he reigns 55 years, longer than any other king of either Judah or Israel. That's amazing. Uzziah reigns 52 years, and Uzziah was a good king. Uh, just a few, maybe great-grandfather of Manasseh, 52 years. This guy outlives him or reigns longer than him, 55 years. I mean, could you imagine having one president for 55 years? One governor for 55 years? And an evil one at that. Uzziah at least was good. But 55 years under evil rulership. Now, it's interesting this verse tells us something else very, very, very significant. Manasseh died, and then Hezekiah comes along. Uh, almost all the kings, if not all of them, are replaced because they died. Um, 
Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Now, he's not the youngest king that ever became king. Right, Josiah is. But 12 is still young. But that 12 also tells us not only that he was a young boy, but something else very significant. He was born after Hezekiah was dead. Or at least should have been dead. Hezekiah should have died 15 years earlier. God added 15 years onto his life. It's in that 15 years that Manasseh is born. If God didn't add those 15 years, Manasseh would have never been born. That's one of the things I'm going to ask God about. <laughs> Why did you hear? Why did you say yes to Hezekiah's prayer and allow Manasseh to be born. Now, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and Hezekiah reigned 29 years. So certainly within that time, he had plenty of time to have other kids. The Bible doesn't mention any other kids, but the Bible doesn't mention all the kids of all the kings. So the question then, we'll ask Hezekiah when we get to heaven, will be, why didn't you set it up for one of your other sons to become king. Why did they make a 12-year-old king? And we don't know, we won't know till then, but maybe Manasseh, maybe Hezekiah showed some favoritism to this son in his extra life, his extra days of life. I don't know. Maybe his other ones were not so good. Maybe they were already older and he already saw their character and he already saw how horrible they were. And we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us who appointed Manasseh to be king. Was it something that Hezekiah set up, as we see sometimes, like David did that? Or was it something after his death that the high priest or other people decided to appoint? That we don't know. But we do know and Manasseh was 12 years old, and that he became king. And then we also know, because of the Bible, oh, and yeah, it could have been his mother. Not all the mothers are mentioned for every king. But she's mentioned. And we don't have any other recordings about her other than she was his mother. Now, Hezekiah might have had other wives as well, and so she's designated as the wife of Manasseh. So she might have had an influence in making him king. But we do know she had an influence on his character. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now that is just a heavy start of statement, verse 2. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but even to the abominations of the Canaanites and the other ites that were kicked out over a thousand years before. He hearkened all the way back. Pilgrim up long dead gods to worship that have been cast out Long back in Joshua's day, 
the abomination to the nations whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. That's how far back he goes to worship these pagan gods. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed 29 years earlier. He raised up the altars for Baal, made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, did. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So the sun, the moon, the sun god, the moon god, worships them. And Baal, it makes a wooden image as king Ahab, king of Israel, did. Ahab was the Ahab, the wicked Ahab with, with Elijah and Jezebel of the king of Israel, the northern tribes, that were already taken captive. And Ahab was long before that. So he hearkens back and grabs gods that, that northern Israel, the pagans of the Canaanites, and then the northern Israel worshipped Baal of Ahab, maybe the worst king of Israel. And so now the king of Judah is following Israel's lead. And they were taken captive. And following the Canaanites' lead and the others that were cast out. Instead of following what was been working. Instead of following what worked for King David. Instead of following what worked for his father. At 12 years old, he was old enough to have some training from his father to know right from wrong. He no doubt heard the story of how he was really a miraculous child. That he should have never been born. How God healed his father. How God turned the sun backwards for him. And he turns his back on all of that. Why? Who knows? Maybe his mother. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So abomination after it just gets worse and worse with every verse. It's worshiping these things, going all the way back, and following Ahab and Baal, and bringing them into the house of the Lord, building altars to the sun god and the moon god, in the house of the Lord, in the place where God said, my name will be forever trampling upon it in total rejection of God's grace and God's love to him specifically. Again, he wouldn't have been born. It was a total miraculous thing that happened in his father's life. Total disregard for this. And so we can think of possibly the influence of his mother and maybe Hezekiah didn't do so great in those last years either. And we saw he was happy that Babylon wasn't going to come in his day, but didn't really care that it's going to come in the future. That he was more interested in showing the Babylonians all his things and telling of the miracle of his healing and of the God who healed him and of the plan of salvation. So maybe Hezekiah was slipping at that point and influenced Manasseh but certainly not to the extent that Manasseh takes it. 
He made his sons pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spirits and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Worse and worse. Taking his children and sacrificing them to gods. It's crazy. And witchcraft and consulting the dead, which the Bible tells us strictly not to do. A lot of this we see today. History repeating itself. Here in the United States, which has seen the miracles of God and has seen God prosper this country and those that follow him and other nations that take on Judeo-Christian values and yet turning our back on it and turning to witchcraft, speaking to the dead, seances and soothsaying and sacrificing our children, denying God and turning our back on God. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and Solomon, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen to put my name forever, I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if. So it's conditional. He will not remove us from the land, only if, and the condition, we'll get to the condition in a second. But here in this verse, it's the second time in this chapter, the two parallel chapters, the second king and second chronicles, basically say the same thing. That God's name would be in Jerusalem forever. He says that twice and doesn't put a condition on that. Puts the condition on the next part. God says his name would be there forever. Twice he mentions that. And that the abomination that Manasseh put false gods there in the temple. And that he would not remove us from the land only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. God's spirit is being withdrawn in this world again because of the same reason. We're turning our backs on God in the same way and for the same reason. God's condition is still the same today. Obedience to his word, faith in him, trust in him. And of course we cannot be obedient unless we have God's spirit within us. And we cannot have God's spirit within us unless we confess that we are in need of his spirit that we are sinful, that we have made mistakes, that we have sinned, that we're carnal at heart, and we need God to transform us and change us. That's where the process starts. The commandments reveal that we have fallen. The commandments show us right from wrong. So if we say the laws are done away with, there's no way for us to know if there's right or wrong. 
There's no way to know what is God's plan. There's no way to know God's direction for us. There's no way to know God's path for us. And yes, that's where we're in society today. Professed Bible believers saying God's law has been done away. The atheist saying laws should be done away with. We'll just change it. We don't need it anymore. God's word is outdated and the laws of the land should be modified with the times. The Constitution should be ignored. It's a one following the other. And on the path to destruction. God's condition still today. To remain his people, to remain his children, is to follow him. Someone told me this week that, uh, the word, I think he's talking about the second part of the Bible, that the word Savior is used, I think, 36 times. Where the phrase Lord is used hundreds of times. Over 300 times or something like that. So where's the emphasis? That God needs to be our Lord. He needs to be our Savior too. But he saves us so that he can be our Lord instead of Satan being our Lord. He saves us so that we can be freed from the bondage of sin and self. That we can be free to freely serve him. He saves us so that we can have everlasting life with him as our Lord for eternity because he reigns over the universe. But it needs to begin here. If we're not willing to have him as Lord now and here, then he's really not our Savior. He doesn't save us to disobedience. He saves us from disobedience to obedience. He saves us from our carnal nature and our rejection of him and our rebellion against him. Because all of us would be just like Manasseh if it wasn't for the Lord. And so he saves us from that debauchery. He saves us from that thinking. He saves us from that low life. He saves us from ourselves. So the law reveals that. The law reveals our need of him. And if we ignore the law and say it's been done away with, then we have no need of him. We have no need of a Savior. But because the law still stands, that it reveals to us our need of him. And that should cause us to come and fall at his feet and say, Lord, save us from ourselves. Lord, help me, I am a sinner. Lord, I am in need of you. Lord, I can try all I want, but I can't be obedient to your way. I can't change my heart and I can't change my life. I need you to do it. I can't erase the past. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse it. I need your sacrifice to pay the price for it. If I worked all the rest of my life and all through eternity, I couldn't pay back the debt for the sins that I've done. I need your sacrifice to pay the price for me. And then I need your power to live inside me and to change me and transform me 
Give me the ability and the power and the desire and the heart that wants to and the will and the strength to do so to obey your commandments. And he does that. That's why it's the condition. You see, if he made this as a condition for Israel and then decides, you know, that didn't work too good. They never, they, they, they didn't do it. I better just change it. I'll just get rid of the law and I'll make it real easy for the next 2,000 years. Well, then he'd have to apologize to all the people prior to that. He'd have to say, I made a mistake. I was dumb. I'm not really a good God. I had this rule and this law and I said this all these years and I was wrong. I am sorry. But he doesn't. He knew what he was saying. God doesn't change. This was the condition then. It's the condition now as well. And the same ability to fulfill the condition that was then, God's Spirit is still available to us today. And we saw there were those who fulfilled it then. And by God's grace, we can fulfill it now as well. And he will keep us and bring us to the eternal promised land where God's name will be forever and ever in our midst. Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So God puts all the blame right on Manasseh. For 29 years they were doing good. They had the revival with Hezekiah. They cast out all those things. They had the Passover again. They instituted, opened up the temple and began worship services in there. It was a great revival and everyone was behind it. 29 years later, Manasseh comes along and changes the people's hearts and leads them into sin. Seduces them so that they do more evil than the nations who were destroyed before them. And in the book of Jeremiah, God, Jeremiah mentions, God inspires him, that the reason for the Babylonian captivity is because of Manasseh. God puts the blame on Israel, or Judah being taken captive, on Manasseh. And Manasseh would have never been born if Hezekiah didn't ask for more life. We need to be careful what we pray for. It might not have been God's plan for Hezekiah to get those 15 years. But God gave it to Hezekiah because Hezekiah asked for it. Better for us to pray, Lord, your will be done, not my will. Lord, if you choose to heal me, fine. If you choose to let me die now, fine as well. Your will what is best for your will to be done on earth, that's what counts. Living another 15 years obviously didn't benefit Hezekiah that much. Obviously didn't benefit the children of Judah that much. Certainly wasn't worth it in the long scheme of things. Who knows, maybe again one of Hezekiah's other sons would have become king and might not have been any better, who knows. But we know it wasn't great with Manasseh. 55 horrible, horrible years. How many people were born and died under that reign? 
and died for eternity, sacrificing to idols and not even having a knowledge of the true God. And then a few kings later, Babylon does come in and takes them captive, all because of Manasseh. Because of Hezekiah's choice, and then Hezekiah's son, Manasseh. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Why did the Lord speak to Manasseh? Because he loved him. God loved Manasseh and didn't want to give up on him. Pleaded with him. Spoke to him and the people. The Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets. Now it's interesting it says that. And then it has a quote, and we're going to look at the quote. But in the Bible, in the prophets that we have, and there were maybe three or so prophets that lived during Manasseh's time, We'll look at them after we finish with Manasseh. This is only part one. But none of them are quoted, have the same quote in their books that are quoted here. So maybe they didn't put it in their book, or maybe there were other prophets, in addition to the three or so Bible ones that we have that spoke during Manasseh's time. But it showed that God was reaching out to Manasseh. The Lord spoke to him, and the Lord spoke through his servants, the prophets. So plural, God was sending message after message after message for Manasseh. And God is sending warnings today as well. Will we listen? Will the people listen? Will we listen? Saying, since Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Ammonites, Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such a calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears it, both his ears will tingle. You ever hear the phrase? Your ears are tingling, someone's talking about you. This is where it comes from. Not only your ear tingling, both their ears are going to tingle. God is speaking. And God is speaking about them. Their ears are going to tingle. A lot of people don't know how many phrases we have in society today that come right from the Bible. Because we used to have a society that was a Bible literate society. I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Now, it's interesting that the, the writer here of 2 Kings said that, that I wipe Jerusalem like a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I don't know why he says it that way. Other than maybe the women don't do it that way. I don't know. He says a man, this is how a man washes dishes. He wipes the one side, he turns it over and wipes the other side. Maybe women, they only wash one side. I don't know is that, uh, why he says that. But in other words, he's going to wipe Jerusalem. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to wipe them clean, both sides. Nothing hidden, either side. No stains, any side. No, they only ate on the one side. He's going to clean both sides. Thoroughly wipes them. 
I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of Ahab, house of Ahab. He's going to judge Judah with the judgments that he judged northern Israel. He's going to use the measuring line that he held against Ahab. Strong message. Should have got his attention. Manasseh should have read some history. What, what happened to Ahab? Oh, that wasn't so good. Dogs ate his wife. Fire came down out of heaven. Elijah, boy, that wasn't so good. God's going to judge me like he judged them. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Why is this prophet, this unnamed prophet, what's it, prophet, so they all gave a similar message. Why are they giving this message? You're going to be destroyed, you're going to be wiped like a dish, clean. Giving him another chance. Why is he giving him another chance? He loves him. He loves him. He's reaching out with messages. And if Manasseh would have heard this early on and the people and there was a repentance and a great revival, what would have God done? He would have not done it. And as we have that in the story of Hezekiah. He said, you're going to die. Hezekiah cries. God said, okay, you won't die. So the prophets are saying, you're going to get destroyed, you're going to get wiped out, you're going to be judged like Ahab and like Samaria and, and the Amorites. And, and if they would have repented, then God would have changed his judgment on them. So out of love, he sends this. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another with innocent blood, killing everybody who wants to worship the Lord. Everyone who's sincere in heart. Everyone who's calling his sins against him. Beside his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So adding sin to sin, worshiping the idols, but then keeping other people from worshiping the true God and slaying innocent blood. For all that, one thing on top of another, bad enough for him to worship the false gods, bad enough for him to sacrifice his son, bad enough for him to seduce people to follow in his evil deeds, but then to shed innocent blood on top of that. Horrible, horrible sin. That's part one. The story takes an interesting turn that we'll cover next time. But what lesson can we get out of it? Manasseh didn't just come out of a vacuum. There was influences in his life. There were choices by his father and his mother. There were influences in the land. The gods from the Canaanites and the Amorites from hundreds of years before were still known and still hanging around. 
What influences have we spread? What mistakes have we made? What effect have we had? Oh, and we might make it like Hezekiah. We might make it into heaven. We might do all right in our day. But what track have we left for others? How have we influenced others for good or for evil? At some point in time in our life. Maybe some slip and error. Maybe some sin. Or maybe before we came to the Lord. Again, we might get out. We might be all right. We might pass the judgment. But what track did we leave for others and what type of influence are they having upon others? What type of evil are they spreading? Maybe you didn't know any better when you were raising your kids. Maybe you didn't know any better when you had that blow up with that friend or at your boss or at work or, or the neighbor. Or... What influence did we leave? What train did we... Who did we influence? Who did we buy stuff with? Who did we encourage in their alcoholism? Who did we encourage in their drug addiction? Through courage in their gambling. Again, maybe before we knew better. But we can repent today of those mistakes we did in the past. And ask God to go before those people and to break that chain that has started. To break that influence that they're spreading and how they're ruining other lives because of something that we did or didn't do that we should have done. Hezekiah never could have dreamed that his 12-year-old son would reign for 55 years and cause the mayhem that he did. Even with Isaiah's warning, he never could have imagined it. And I bet if God would have shown him what would have happened, he would have never asked for those extra 15 years. What selfish prayers have we had? What prayers have we prayed for us? Lord, spare me. Lord, help me. Lord, give me. Lord, take care of me. I think, unfortunately, that's the majority of our prayers. Instead of, Lord, use me as a blessing, Lord, use me in helping others. Use me in showing your love. Use me in following you. And of course, if God calls us to follow him, that might mean to be a martyr for him. Lord, make my life a blessing. And may your will, and only your will, be done in my life. And if I'm being a distraction to others, Lord, change my heart. Change my mind. If I'm 
presenting a wrong influence, change my life, change my heart, and change me. And Lord, if I would lead more people to hell than I would to heaven. And Lord, you can change me. Then stop me from being a wrong influence upon others. Lord, may your will, for your glory, and for the salvation of souls be most important on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. Would have been better if Hezekiah would have prayed that when Isaiah came. All of history might have been different. But we can tonight change history moving forward by reflecting on our lives, allowing God to change our prayers. Let's pray together, and whatever applies to you, surrender that to the Lord. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we want to repent of the mistakes that we have made in our lives. We want to repent of the evil influences that we have shared. We want to repent of the times that we broke your commandments and disregarded them and walked away from them. We want to repent of the times that we've taught falsely and we didn't know better then and maybe you've shown us now but Lord we've made mistakes in teaching falsehood. Lord forgive us and undo the damages that we've done to people. The train that we set going to our children and our grandchildren to those around us, to those we work with, to those that we live with, to those that we live around, to those that we've gone to school with, to those in our social circles, to those in the congregation. Lord, forgive us for the times we've been a bad influence. And wash us clean. Not only our records, but go before us and break the influence that we had. And change the hearts and the minds of those that we influenced for evil. And take back that ground. But may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And use us here on this earth as long as you see fit and as long as you can. And when our time is done, Lord, we surrender it to you. And let us rest in you. Let us not live a day or a moment longer than we should. But also don't let us be removed a day or a moment sooner than we should. Use us right to the end, honoring, glorifying you, and being a good influence by your grace and by your spirit. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.